Peace of Christ be with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. We're so glad that you're here with us. On each one of the pews near the center aisle, there is our friendship pad, which is a black folder, and we'd love to have you fill it out and let us know that you're here today and then pass it down the row so other people can sign it too. You can see the announcements of the week that are in the bulletin. Fall is about to start, and two weeks from today, we will begin to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation with an adult ed class at the 10 o'clock hour that is about Martin Luther. You are all welcome to be part of that. And then two weeks later, to hear church historian Nate Feldmuth talk more about the Reformation. Our summer book talk group has been reading A Gentleman in Moscow, and you're welcome to come and discuss the book with us this Tuesday if you've read it. It is not a closed group. Anybody can come as long as you've read the book. You can also see that those of you who are interested in learning to uh, pray in a new way to pray sacred story prayer. We invite you to express your interest at the cart in the next couple of weeks. We'll be forming a new group that's learning to pray sacred story prayer, and we'd like to do that around your schedule, the schedule of the people who are interested in doing it. Our choir invites you to take another taste of what it's like to be in choir besides summer choir. A week from this Thursday, you're invited to join them for their first rehearsal and Get a taste of that and see if that's something that you might like to continue to be a part of. The plans are underway for just three weeks from today for our dinner to celebrate our 100th anniversary at the Hotel Laguna. We are sold out, but lots of things are still happening to get ready for that with the silent auction. Uh, also, there are a couple of pieces of art that have been created in memory of the, uh, some of our founders and in honor of them. So those are available if you'd like to get that as part of our celebration of the centennial of our church. You can see that there's also a skin cancer screening coming up and that our Club 325, which is a homework club, 
will be starting up again in September. And also that there are flu shots. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Everywhere we look, the world around us speaks of the greatness of your power and the depth of your wisdom. It is your hand that carved out the seas, that raised up the mountains, and that set the sun in place, that robed this earth with a thin garment of air, making it a haven of beauty and life. Create in us such a sense of wonder and delight in all your gifts that we might receive them with gratitude as we come to worship you through Christ our Lord this morning. Amen. Our call to worship this morning is from the words of the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches, who stretches out, out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows upon them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Church, let us stand and praise God together. I sing the mighty power of God. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and filled the lofty skies. I sing.
helpless in the storm until you take our hand and lead us on. Lord, some of us are tired. Some of us are weak. And some of us are worn. But through the storm and through the night, Lord, lead us on to the light. Take our hand. Take my hand. Precious Lord. Precious Lord, take my Our Lord Jesus said, you shall love the Lord with God, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As God has instructed us in these great commandments, and because we have not lived in full obedience, let us now confess our sins to God, trusting Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Join me in the responsive call to prayer of confession. You asked for our hands that you might use them for your purpose. We, we gave, gave them, them up for a moment, moment then withdrew them, for the work was hard. 
You asked for our voices to speak out against injustice. We gave gave you a whisper that we might not be accused. You asked for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We closed them, for we did not want to see. You asked for our lives that you might work through us. We gave a small part that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive our calculated efforts to serve you when it is convenient or safe or only with those who make it easy to do so. Father, Father, forgive us, us, renew us, us, send us out as your instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Take a moment for personal silent confession. Hear the good news. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In him we have been reconciled to God through the cross, made citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Brothers, sisters, in Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Today we complete our study of the book of Acts by finishing the first half of the book of Acts. We will be in chapter 12. The reading is the entire chapter, and so we are going to break it up and sing in the middle of that. This is not only the end of the first half of the book, it is also the end of an era, because it's the end of the years when the church in Jerusalem was headed by the 12 apostles, and particularly by Peter. It is a story of two leaders, of Peter, the apostle, who has become the head of the church in Jerusalem, and of King Herod, the Rome-appointed king of the Jews. This Herod is the grandson of Herod the Great, the Herod that we know from the Christmas story who tried to kill the infant Jesus. Acts 12, beginning with verse 1, hear the word of God. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt, put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him, but did not realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly 
the angel left him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so perhaps Peter was singing this song, And Can It Be? It's hymn number 203, and we'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3. Let us stand as we are set free. Amazing love, how can it be? continue reading at verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent the angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, tell this to James and to the believers. And then he left and went to another place. When morning came, there was no small commotion among the soldiers 
over what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he examined the guards and ordered them to be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the wake of Charlottesville, America is re-examining how we will remember and commemorate uh, some of our history, particularly the Confederacy. Some historians argue for keeping all of the monuments because they say it is a part of history and we need to keep them as they are. Others argue for them to be torn down or for them to be changed to tell a more complete version of the story. It raises the question of how do we tell the stories of history? How do we tell what has happened in a way that captures the parts that we really don't want to forget so that we don't repeat what's happened in history? Last fall, uh, we were traveling in Eastern Europe, uh, particularly throughout East Germany and in Prague and in Budapest. And all of the fascist and communist statues have been torn down. In fact, in Prague, our guide ha said that her teenage son liked to skateboard on Stalin's remains, the, the great Stalin statue that had loomed over the city for years. And now all they thought of him was just the ruins on which to skateboard. There are honest memorials throughout a great deal of Eastern Europe um, trying to capture some of the most painful parts of those years under the Third Reich and under communism, um, and not trying to evade the truth or evade their share in some of the atrocities that were committed. They are not trying to cover things up. Uh, when we were in Israel this May, uh, we noticed that in addition to, of course, the many, many sites that remember Jesus, probably the most, the person who is most otherwise remembered in the sites that tourists visit is Peter. There are lots of sites that visit places in Peter's life. Uh, one of my very favorites is Peter's house in Capernaum. They have, they have discovered the, uh, this house, and there's a, quite an archaeological dig. And over that dig, looking down on it, is a modern church built on the foundation of Peter's house and with a glass floor that can look down on this that was the foundation of the years, the very earliest years of the church. Of course, um, one of the places that people go in uh, Jerusalem as we are tracing some of the last days of Jesus' life is we trace the place in Jerusalem that marks Peter's greatest failure, his denial of Christ. It is a church called Peter in Gallican II, which means the cock crows. And there is a, a lot there about uh, probably the way Jesus was held as a prisoner and also about Peter's denial and then his repentance about um, denying Christ. 
They are not trying to cover up that side of Peter. The church wants to remember that while Peter was the great leader of the early church, Peter was also a man who had feet of clay, a man who had been greatly changed by Jesus and given a second chance again and again. And when we were in Rome, of course, you can go to St. Peter's Basilica, right, as you tour through the Vatican. Great, soaring church, absolutely huge. You can get lost in it again and again. Full of statues, full of very noble statues of Peter, uh, one of which people uh, rub the foot of Peter so much that it's shining. Um, I think that they pray there or they kiss the toe of Peter or something. But I didn't like at all St. Peter's. It was just too huge and too loud and too crowded. Couldn't focus on anything. What I liked a lot better was a tiny church that we visited that was just a few blocks from the Colosseum called St. Peter in Chains. A few of us found our way there in one of our free afternoons. Because there they they have a display case that has what is allegedly the chains from this story when Peter was set free from chains in Jerusalem and also the chains that had held Peter later in his life in Rome. Because the church wants to remember not only Peter the great leader, Peter the man who was given a second chance by Jesus and forgiven but also that Peter was a man who had been set free, had been set free time and again by Jesus and by his power. Today's story, we see Peter set free, of course, from this prison. But throughout the New Testament, we see Peter set free again and again, don't we? Peter, who is so stubborn and headstrong, Peter, who seems to have grown up during the gospel stories as he's encountered Jesus and as Jesus has changed his life and has really set him free from a lot of his past and also from a lot of himself, too. Our text takes place in Jerusalem during the Passover celebration. It's been a dozen years or so since that night at the Passover celebration that Jesus and his disciples gathered for the Last Supper right there in Jerusalem. It's been a dozen years since they watched Jesus be arrested and tried and crucified and resurrected. We've watched, as we've read the story in Acts, as shortly after Jesus' ascension back into heaven, when just a handful of disciples were gathered together in Jerusalem, God has sent the Holy Spirit on them in tongues of fire and has given them the power to tell the story of Jesus as the true King of the Jews, as Jesus, of Jesus as the Messiah. And thousands of Jews in Jerusalem have become followers of Jesus almost overnight the church was just mushrooming there in Jerusalem. We've watched the disciples do what Jesus told them to do. They've taken this word not only to Jerusalem, but throughout Judea and to Samaria 
and to the uttermost parts of the earth as they've told people about Jesus. But Jerusalem was the home base of the church. It was still led by the 12 apostles and particularly by Peter, who seems to have come to function almost as a bishop-type figure here within the city of Jerusalem. The church continued to grow so much that they developed some institutional structures. They decided that they needed more people in leadership to help with the needs of the church, and as you recall, they began to have deacons, and so they had people that were assigned to care for the people who had needs in the church, the deacons. One of those deacons, Stephen, was the first Christian martyr, and he had been stoned to death. After, ha- after his stoning, there had been a horrible persecution that had broken out against the church, and more and more of the Christians in Jerusalem had fled and had relocated into other places and taken the word of Jesus with them as they went. The Pharisee Saul has been very busy hunting down Christians and having them killed until Jesus confronted him and Saul himself was converted and became a follower of Jesus. While the 12 apostles have stayed in Jerusalem, few other believers have. The church is now much smaller than it had been at one time because the others have left and gone to the hinterland. And the disciples who remain in Jerusalem just don't have that level of popular respect that they had at first. I mean, in those early days, people were bringing their sick and they were laying them in the streets, waiting for the apostles to come by and to heal them. They were eager to hear what the apostles had to say. But the opinion has changed in those, since those years. That earlier relatively benign persecution that they had received from the Jewish leaders has become instead a power showdown with the political authority who is in the area, Herod, who is ruling on behalf of Rome, and Rome has called him the king of the Jews, trusted by Rome to keep peace in this area of Judea. Of course, it was in Herod's interest to show his Roman overlords that he could control this little follower of Jesus group, that he would not tolerate any kind of dangerous religious movements underneath his nose. And he also needed to show his Jewish people that he respected their ancient traditions. Like his grandfather, Herod, this Herod is a ruler of great power, But there is nothing about him that is free. He's caught between Rome's demands and the demands of his people, always trying to please, always trying to be thought well of. Arrogant Herod, always preening, captured by his ego-inflated vision of his own greatness, ever grasping for more and more power. Every year during the Passover week in Jerusalem, the streets of Jerusalem teemed with crowds. After all, Passover was this great celebration of freedom, the time when they had been set free from slavery in Egypt. And it was a time when those impulses for freedom 
rose to the surface again when some groups that chafed under the rule of Rome began to show their agitation. Of course, the authorities were ready for trouble. Undoubtedly, the law enforcement was on horseback. Undoubtedly, they were wearing the latest up-to-date anti-riot gear that the first century had. They were ready. They were making a line between that side of the crowd and this side of the crowd. Perhaps somebody had said, stay away, don't get involved in that trouble that might spring up like last Sunday night. Herod takes advantage of the moment. He is not going to ignore this. Instead, he is going to show off his power in the midst of all of that demand for freedom. And so he beheads James, one of the minor leaders of the church, testing the waters to see what the people think. If he can get away with this, then he will go for the main guy, for Peter himself. But he could still back down if the people are too upset about this. But if the crowds are pleased, Peter will get it. And Herod arrests Peter. He puts him in what is absolutely the state-of-the-art security, chained on each side to a guard and with layers of guards throughout the prison, all there knowing that their lives are at stake if Peter would get free. Make no mistake, this is not just a night in jail to teach those Christians a lesson. When morning dawns, Peter is going to be brought out not just to show to the people. Peter is going to be brought out to be killed. On this night, when all of Jerusalem is remembering their great deliverance by God, their great night of Passover freedom, the church cries out to God to set Peter free too as he set them free from Egypt. In response, God sends an angel, frees Peter from a prison, right out of the chains that the guards are, are chained to him with. His life, which was surely over, is given back to him, and Peter, once again, is given another chance. Even the church that has been praying for him was so sure that he would not be delivered. They were so expecting his death that when he shows up, they don't even realize that it could possibly be Peter who's been set free. By morning, when Peter is found to be missing from the prison, he will have a price on his head, and the worst place for him to be is to be gathered with the other Christians and putting them in danger. And so Peter disappears under cover of darkness. He will leave Jerusalem tonight. Peter's story continues, but we won't read it in Acts. Peter's name comes up only one more time in the entire book of Acts. He shows up in Acts chapter 15 for a very brief time, but otherwise the rest of this whole book will not follow Peter's story at all. It will switch almost like it's a new story. 
and will follow the story of Paul and some others who are spreading the word of God throughout the ancient world. Peter's story we know continues because we read about it in some of the letters that are in the New Testament, but not because, of we, because we read about it in Acts. After all these years that he has led the church in Jerusalem, it will now be led by somebody that we've not met before, a different James, James who is the brother of Jesus, who will become, yes, the brother of the Lord, will become the leader of the church in Jerusalem for a number of years. And what of Herod, the so-called king of the Jews? I didn't read you the end of the chapter. I did say that he leaves and he goes to Caesarea, to his palace by the Mediterranean Sea. We saw the ruins of that on our trip, where he will, he will not be able to resist the opportunity to dazzle the crowd. Let me read you a part of that story, beginning with verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they came to him in a body, and after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for a reconciliation because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the platform, and delivered a public address to them. The people kept shouting, the voice of God, not of a mortal. They want, they want food, they're kissing up to him. And immediately, because he had not given the glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. Arrogant Herods. Arrogant Herods come and go, persecuting the church, maybe trying to co-opt the church, into their purposes. Sometimes it looks like they're winning the day. We rarely get to see God's judgment on them this side of death, as we do here in this story. The author Luke makes it clear, no matter how powerful and glittering and wonderful Herod may appear, God will not let him stand in the way of God's purposes in the world. God will bring about his purposes, no matter who is standing in the way. Right under Herod's nose, Jesus is Lord. And he's still going about setting people free from whatever it is that holds us, advancing his kingdom and reserving the last word, for himself. Peter had his own way to tell this story years later as he wrote a letter to some of the Christians who were scattered throughout the area that we know of as Turkey. As he remembered this day, it's this end of it that he remembers. As he quotes what we read at the beginning of the service from Isaiah, all flesh is as grass and the glory like the flower of grass the grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let's stand and affirm our faith together in the words of the Confession of 1967. About the mission of the church. To be reconciled to God is to be sent into the world as God's reconciling community. This community, the church universal, is entrusted with God's message of reconciliation and shares God's labor of healing the hostilities which separate people from God and from each other. Christ has called the church to this mission and given it the gift of the Holy Spirit. The church maintains continuity with the apostles and with Israel by faithful obedience to his call. The church follows this pattern in the form of its life and in the method of its action. So to live and serve is to confess Christ as Lord. Amen. You may be seated as we bring to the Lord our morning offering.
this amazing grace together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We thank you today, Lord God, for your written and spoken word. It is by your word that we are called today to be instruments of your peace in today's world. The Apostle Peter was freed from the chains that held him hostage so that he might accomplish the ministry to which he had been called. We also, both as a nation and as individuals, must be freed from the chains that hinder us from doing his ministry. To this end, O oh Lord, remind us that you are both a loving Father and a jealous God who calls us from the worship of the false gods of power and wealth and self-absorption to a life of service and humility from the most powerful of us to the most vulnerable of us. Remind us that you are a God of justice and that you require justice of those who govern the nations of the world and of each of us as individuals. Remind us that we are called to honor your laws and to respect our neighbors and to live by the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Remind us, O Lord, that you are our strength and our salvation and that by your Holy Spirit there is no task given to us by you that cannot be accomplished. Amen. We remember before your throne of grace those who struggle in this life, those who suffer from illness and disease, those who serve in harm's way, those who live in dangerous places, those who have suffered through perilous times in eastern Texas in these last days. Also, Lord, those who have suffered loss, be for them your love and grace. May your grace bring peace and safety to all your people, wherever they are. Lord God, you call us to be your light in the darkness, your voice in the wilderness, your hope to the hopeless. Inspire us and grant us your strength, encouragement, and peace. In the name of the one who taught us all to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
it has been wonderful having Jeff McCrory as part of our band. And next Sunday, Jeff is going to be preaching for us as we begin our new series in the book of Psalms. And then uh, we are going to say goodbye to Jeff for a few months, years, as he is going to go and become the interim, yes, interim pastor in Escondido. Right, yeah. Uh, right. So we look forward to hearing from you next week as your swan song for a while. And may we continue to allow the Lord to be setting us free in many ways. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.